You've got questions. We've got all the answers when it comes to sex and more. This is the A to Z of sex with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Every week, we pick a series of topics that you've been wanting to know about. It's an encyclopedia of sex, intimacy, relationships, and so much more than that. Let's get things started. Now, here's your host, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a sex and intimacy coach and a psychologist, and I've spent the last 30 plus years helping people to create hot and healthy sexual and intimate relationships. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. So today the letter is Q, and Q is for queer. Queer is now seen as an umbrella term for people with sexual and gender minorities who are not heterosexual or not cisgender. Now, cisgender means the the gender that was your biological sex at birth. The word originally meant weird or strange and was used as an insult against people who had same-sex desires starting in the 19th century. Activists started reclaiming the word in the 1980s and have gone on to do so further since. And starting in the 2000s, queer began to be used to describe a variety of anti-heteronormative and anti-homonormative sexual identities, gender identities, and politics. Some people believe that only people who are LGBT should use this term because a term should not be reclaimed unless you're part of the group that was originally insulted through the use of the term. But there are quite a few people who identify as queer who may be heterosexual, but they um, are in relationships that contain power exchange or they're into BDSM and they live differently from the standard um, heteronormative population. So joining me to talk all things queer is Dr. Tanya Yannick. She is currently a women's health specialist and aspires to get her certification in sex education and counseling in addition to the physiotherapy services that she already offers. Her passion is empowering women to understand their bodies and even know that they're allowed to enjoy their sexuality despite messages we've received through our lives from society, family, friends, and even our healthcare providers. She realized she wasn't heterosexual at the age of 14, but she didn't fully come out until 10 years later at 24 and currently identifies as queer. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> My pleasure. So I was interested that you said that you knew at 14 where you were at, but you didn't fully come out until 24. What, what prevented you from kind of embracing mm-hmm. what you knew then? Um, so I grew up in rural Ohio in the United States, so that is not exactly the most accepting um, to give you a kind of a landscape of what I grew up in. Um, I think everyone was white. I think we had one Asian person and one mixed ethnicity person in the entire high school to right. give you an idea. So um, not only was race not well, you know, you know, well represented, it's I mean, it was very conservative um, pretty religious. So I didn't have, and it was small. Like my class was like a hundred people. Like some people they go to schools and there's like thousands and thousands of people. So you, there's going to just be more diversity because of that, but small town, Ohio and small town U S. So that kind of prevented me. And I was, you know, worried about family and all those insecurities you have as a teenager. Like, what are people going to think? What, (laughs) um, I don't want to, you know, I looked up to my dad and my grandfather and my grandfather was very much old country, <laughs> like old school, like that's just something. And I looked up to him. So you don't want to, you know, disappoint them. 
especially yeah. as a teenager. Um, and then when, even when I went to college, I went to a women's only Catholic college. So that did wow. not help matters at all. <laughs> no, it wouldn't do. No. So that's why 24, because that's when I finally got out. I finally moved to the city. I Even my college was in the suburbs. So like I was extremely sheltered until then. And then I just hit this breaking point where I'm like, you know what? I don't care. And then I started dating more openly. I mean, I had kind of dated some women, but it was just even hard to meet people in rural U.S. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I mean, I think for me, um, I used the term bisexual for many years. Um, I stopped using bisexual because it's not actually accurate because it's a binary term. Yeah. And I don't, my sexuality isn't binary. And, um, and I've, I bang on about this a lot. Because I, I, I find because I find the insistence that I need to to use something that's an either or very mm-hmm. difficult to manage. So I am. Um, it's the last couple of years I've used queer because it really describes more where I come from um, sexually. But but the only problem is, of course, then it means you always have to give an explanation because people don't know. <laughs> yep. Right. Yep. And 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 they they might infer if I say I'm queer that I, I'm lesbian. And I'm married to a man, so that confuses them, right? <laughs> yep, exactly. You know, um, and but then they think we're a heterosexual couple, and neither of us is heterosexual. Mm-hmm. No, I'm all, I'm I'm one, I'm a poster girl for don't assume for many reasons. Those are two of them, but for many reasons, you know, and I love to I love to remind people that actually, if you communicate, you'll, you'll find out a lot more. And then mm-hmm. making assumptions is really bad because you're most of the time you're going to be wrong. Exactly. And I think that's why I identify as queer now, because when I did use something that I thought was more descriptive, everyone has different assumptions. And I just got so tired of getting pigeonholed um, with that. So I've kind of, I've gone through, like, my my sexuality has definitely flexed over the years. It's been mm-hmm. interesting. Like, um, when I was, you know, teens to early 20s, I thought I was bisexual. And that's what I used to say. But then there's all the assumptions with that. Um, And then there's the assumption I had a a partner of 12 years that was same sex, um, although she um, is queer. And um, but so it's so then they assume I'm they're like, Oh, you're gay now. And I'm like, well, and and during that time, I would say that my attraction was 95% female 5% like it was rare that a man was attractive to me. <laughs> and then I don't know what happened mid thirties hit and it was back to being more, more bisexual. But then it's, I like the, the term queer because then it, it also, it actually, I do like that it forces people to kind of ask, well, what does that mean to you? Or what is that? Because it is so open-ended as opposed to, I think all these newer terms for sexuality coming out are great except for the fact when I feel like I'm getting pigeonholed. So I say I'm bi or I'm pan or I'm this. And then they're like, well, that means this to me, or that means that I'm like, well, no, that's not me. So then I'm like backtracking and like saying, like, <laughs> um, trying to undo some of the assumptions that they've created. If that makes any sense. It makes lots of sense. I mean, if it's fascinating to me because the idea of, um, you know, so you're with a woman and therefore you're gay now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so you've picked a side. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what everybody wants. And it's not just the heterosexual community that pushes towards that. Mm-hmm. You know, the homosexual community also pushes for you to pick a side. Yeah. Um, and, and, and people, people have real difficulty 
if they cannot easily categorize somebody mm-hmm. so that they don't have to, you know, they know what it means to be gay or straight. I, I, it's also kind of interchangeable. You know, if you're gay, then you, you could have the same kind of relationship structure as you could have if you were straight. If you're bisexual, well, maybe not. If you're queer, what does that mean? Um, it, you know, polyamorous, what does that mean? If they're, they're, anything that's not binary upsets people. Yeah. And I live in the gray, so I think I make everyone a little crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that and that, and that really does it drives people nuts because they can't stick you easily in yeah. a box. They actually have to ask questions. They have to take the time. They have to take the time to figure it out. Um, and that's, I mean, you know, most people, if, if they want to be a partner or if they want to be sexually involved, even if they don't want to be a partner, if they want to play, they don't mind taking the time. You yeah. know. But family and friends really resent you not being easy to describe. <laughs> this is true. Oh, my gosh. And also, I feel like there's the whole concept between descriptive and prescriptive, if that makes uh-huh. sense. I yes. feel like certain people identify, and then they're just like, I don't want to say mindlessly go towards that, but they're like, oh, I'm this. And then it's almost like they want to model themselves after certain things, Um so I'm like, well, I need terms that are more descriptive that describe who I am. Not I've picked this this label and now I'm going to follow kind of like what the, the mainstream of whoever, um, like you've talked about the polyamory. I think that's kind of happened because um, I'm I'm non-monogamous and oh my gosh, like it's great that it's getting into the mainstream, but like there's the show called Sister Wives now. It's about the Mormon, like the, yeah. the guy, the wives and- so now when I'm talking to people and if I say Polly, they're like, oh, so is it like sister wives? And I'm like, oh, gosh, no. Like, oh, no. <laughs> no, that's polygamy, right? Yeah. That's, it, it's a thing. It's a separate thing. <laughs> and it's definitely not polyamory. Um, but, and, but people think it is. Yeah, yeah. And it's been interesting because if you say Polly, that's exact. It's even in like some of the stuff I've followed, I see people, they assume it's a guy and two girls. Like it's like that it's pervasive. So now I'm like, Oh gosh, I'm not, <laughs> I, I don't know if you even want to say I'm Polly because then they all think I want to, you know, have a bunch of sister wives and a husband. <laughs> well, so that's, like, I'm backpedaling again to like, okay, ethical non-monogamy. Like that's, I don't know how much broader termed queer and eth- like queer just covers the whole. Yeah. Everything. <laughs> I find it so amusing because it's, it's, you know, it's like, um, the assumption is, yeah, one penis. Oh, one I hate penis that. Oh my God. Always. Right. And it's like, oh. um, no, that's actually not, not what I'm talking about. Um, and, and if you say, well, I like having relations with all sorts of humans, people get upset with you as well. Oh yeah. Especially if you, they assume that that means that you're not going to reject them. <laughs> I've gotten that like, oh, well, you're bisexual and open. So that means you're available. And then they're like almost offended when I'm like, that doesn't mean I'm sleeping with every person I meet. Like, actually, it's quite the opposite. There's like maybe one or two at any given time. <laughs> um, I, I don't have time. I need to be independently wealthy to date any more than that. <laughs> I hear you. Well, we are a couple of minutes from break. And um, during the break, you'll get some updates from our sponsors talking about all the really cool things that you can hear on this network and some of the interesting things you can get up to. When we come back, we will talk more about 
queer, and we'll talk about what it means to queer something now, because that's a new term. We talk about queering an activity or queering a subject. And what does that actually mean? Um, Because that is more on the activist scale, but not really necessarily political. We will talk politics a little bit later um, and why, um, what queer politics look like and how wide and varied queer politics are. Um, And maybe even talk about some of the arguments, but that'll be later in the show. And we'll be back in a couple of minutes after our sponsors. Explore your deeper desires. Listen, learn, and live sexy here on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Maximize your orgasms and just let go. The Throes of Passion Waterproof Pleasure Blanket guarantees to keep your sheets dry, no matter how wet it gets. From massage oils to lubes and beyond, we've got your bed covered. So just throw it down and get it on and get lost in your very own Throes of Passion. Then toss it aside and bask in the afterglow of great sex in warm, dry sheets. The all-new Naked Fleece provides a soft and sexy playscape, while the stay-dry barrier protects your bed, your couch, and even your carpet. It's machine washable, large enough to cover a king-size bed, and light enough to travel discreetly. To get your own Throes of Passion waterproof pleasure blanket, visit thesexylifestyle.com and order yours today. That's thesexylifestyle.com. Great sex starts now. How do you feel about a non-monogamous lifestyle? Does it sound enticing? Are you worried about what others might think? Your questions are answered on Sex Interrupted with Tara and James. It's a discussion about the swinger lifestyle, non-monogamy, sex, sexuality, and where it all fits in. All we ask is that you listen with an open heart and an open mind, and you will find your desires and fantasies can come true. Tune in to Sex Interrupted with Tara and James every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. This is the A to Z of Sex, featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails, too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of Sex. Hi, welcome back to the A to Z of Sex. And this week it's Q is for Queer, and I am talking with Dr. Tanya Yannick. So before the break, we were talking about all the different ways in which we use the term queer. Um, and what, what we kind of, some of the politics, we said we would talk about some of the politics of, of queer and more queer from an activist point of view. Um, so, have you seen have you seen queer used in terms of activism? Um, a little bit. Um, I think it's it's all over the the board now, especially with the U.S. and the climate we're in right now. <laughs> um, it's been interesting how polarized it's gotten. So, um, and it has 
um, queer has been good in a way because now we're getting more inclusive. Like it's, we were talking about how queer isn't binary. Well, now there's more gender identities. Like when there's women's issues, they're like, well, it's not just women's issues. There's trans men that have similar problems. So being like the politics have gotten queer because we're being open to the fact that there is more than a binary gender and, you know, binary uh, sexuality. So once you're starting to address women's issues, now it's queer issues because it's more than just women um, or more than just men or whatever. And I do think sometimes that's really confusing for people. Um, I think that um, it's like we take things like um, transgender, you know, years and years ago, people only talked about transsexual, which is not the same thing. Um, And so the, the idea of somebody identifying fully as, for example, if we look at a trans man, somebody identifying fully as male, taking testosterone, having many male se- um, secondary sex characteristics, but choosing not to have phalloplasty, for example, yep. um, because major surgery, <laughs> yeah. very expensive, um, m- and not necessarily good results, you know, it depends on the individual and their, their, their health status, but it's made things more confusing for people to try and figure to, 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 I think, try and honor. This is a man. Yep. And I wonder what healthcare, how healthcare professionals deal with this and if they yeah. deal with it well at all, I imagine I mean, they don't. It's no, the general, no. Um, And even with my practice, I'm doing, you know, pelvic health and I do specifically treat women, you know, biological, I want to say biological women. I treat female genitalia. (laughs) That's that's the easiest way to do it, to say I treat, right. So somebody who I treat female genitalia, Yeah. whatever your identification, that's what I deal with. But even then that's even difficult because it's been brought up because there's also the the layer of body dysmorphia and understanding yes. the terms that they would rather be, you know, using for that. So that's even water that I'm still trying to navigate because <laughs> um, I do want to be inclusive and I don't purposely try and exclude anyone, but it is, I, I'm not, I'm only trained in the female gen- genitalia and I'm trying to find ways to, um, being more inclusive with that, but I'm to be honest, that is something I am struggling with, and I'm trying to find ways to, you know, talk to people and figure out and educate myself to understand how to say it in ways that are, you know, appropriate. <laughs> and I think you know, if you're having difficulty with that, it's not surprising that average Joe finds yeah. it really difficult, um, or average Dan, or yeah, <laughs> average Jesse, or whoever. But yeah, no, I mean that that people not involved in the area will find it difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are all sorts of interesting questions that come up when we look at these things now. Like when we say women's space, what do we mean now? Yep, exactly. Yeah, it, that gets pretty little hairy pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of um, a number of events that have broken down either temporarily or irretrievably over the question of what women's women's space actually is. So yep. there's sex positive events, um, which means for those of you who are unaware, lots of sex positive events 
have sexual activity at them. That's part of it. And so at a sex positive event, if there's going to be sexual activity, then one can imagine that you would see genitalia. If you're a woman's event, some women would think that means anybody who identifies as female and therefore not be surprised if it wasn't all vulvas that they were seeing, right? Yeah, and that doesn't always go over with the entire crowd because some people definitely don't agree with that. <laughs> right. Some women don't want to see anything remotely looking male from genitalia. They don't mind beards on faces, mm-hmm. right? They don't mind um, no breasts. They don't mind hairy arms. So all the male secondary sex characteristics, as long as what they're seeing is a vulva, Some women don't want to see anybody who is looking male, regardless of what their genitalia looks like, right? So so we have these, and and I've known of events, I know events that have really struggled around this issue of defining what women's space looks like. Mm -hmm. I don't hear, I'm sure there are male events that have struggled, but there aren't, I don't think there is many. So, and I haven't heard about them. But there's real struggle now. If we're, we're no longer talking two genders yeah. at all, no. then how, if you want to create separate space, how do you do that? I mean, even with my events, like I have one event called Wine and Vagine. So then I had someone say they didn't like that because they want to be included and they're not female identified. And I'm, I'm great with that, but I'm, I'm having to think, okay, now I have to rebrand it to... Or maybe just have a completely separate event and brand it something different so that it's like, okay, this is a safe space for gender fluid or trans men as long as, but then that's where I'm like, do I say female genitalia? Do I say, I've heard that that's just, that's not a term that they want to necessarily hear. Um, So trying to tread those delicate waters of trying to figure out how do I reach out to them without them feeling like I'm alienating them if that makes any sense well and so so uh, so i wonder if using the term queer just works in that situation yeah and then you get people to ask Mm -hmm. that's true that is very true because it's such it's such a tender subject and and you know we're talking about it and we're sensitive to it Mm -hmm. but the vast majority of the world, even within the LGBT community, even within, I mean, we know, you know, we know there, there, there are people, lesbian, gay folk who have real issues with trans folk. I mean, there's all sorts of conflict that goes on around identities and um, people's places in things, which I always find kind of interesting. Um, People seem to miss that when you band together, you actually manage to accomplish more than when you don't and, and seem to feel very much that um, they're going to lose something if another group becomes part. Um, yeah. and, and, and I'm not, you know, as the, the acronym has expanded, it's been really interesting um, because of that. Like now, you know, it's like, the, do we want to add any more things? I I mean, being recently single, that's what I've been, I was trying to find what label I am. And that's why I just kind of resorted back to queer because it was just a better blanket term because I thought some others would work, but not, not so great. (laughs) It can be really, I mean, it's really complicated. But again, you know, that means people have to communicate and I'm a big fan of communication. 
big, yeah. big fan of communication. So I, we are, believe it or not, one minute from break. When we come back next, we're going to talk a little bit about the politics um, aspect of queer and um, and what queering a space means when you when it's said um, as as that kind of a phrase. Um, and I may even be able to tell you where that came from. Remember, if you've got questions, please write in Beth at drlauriebethbisbee.com or feel free to phone in and we will be back in just a couple of minutes. Craving more from your sexy lifestyle? Search our businesses, services, blogs, articles, and videos. And keep in touch with us by subscribing to our newsletter, all on thesexylifestyle.com. When the lights are off, that's no reason not to light things up. Lube Light lets you pop its cap for instant illumination so your lube gets applied to all the sweet spots and never the awkward ones. No more slippery midsection, unless you're into that. You can keep it turned on while you're getting down with your partner. Our ambient lighting is soft enough to never blind while you're doing the grind. No matter what lube gets you vibing, it's compatible with Lube Light. Easier to turn on than your last partner, guaranteed. Get yours today at lubelights.com. Also available on Amazon and SheVibe. What is your level of sexual expertise? Want to find something new? Listen for Sisters of Sexuality every week on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. There's no judgment here, and every topic is safe and sex positive. So we'll explore them together. It's time to push your sexual boundaries and try some new experiences with your hosts, Taylor Sparks, Parrish Michelle Blair, and Jet Setting Jasmine, with Marla Renee Stewart and Tiffany Janae. You won't want to miss a single show every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific, on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. This is the A to Z of sex, featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails, too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlauribethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the A to Z of sex. This week, it's Q is for queer, and I am talking with Dr. Tanya Yannick. And before the break, I said we would talk a little bit about politics and a little bit about what somebody might mean when they said they wanted to queer a subject or queer a space. Um, And so let me give you um, the idea that politics comes out of queer theory. Now, at present and moving into the future, some say... Queer theory is about looking at deviations from what's normative. So what is a a norm, again, as I've said before on this program, is a mathematical term. It's a type of average. So what is what we would expect, but also a way of questioning the norm. So we're looking at differences from the norm, but we're also using the idea to question the norm. And... um, particularly looking at gender and sexuality and particularly highlighting the fact that actually there's a lot more fluidity than people believed. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's issues with assigning somebody a particular orientation and expecting that they are going to stick in that category for life. 
Um, so that's what that's about. So when we say queering a space or queering an event, it's when you move it from the norm. So yeah. you add in the non-normative position. Yeah, as a healthcare provider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I try to queer the space. I mean, I guess that's not a political thing, but um, I think it does because um, when we're talking about healthcare and how people are taken care of, like I'm usually seeing women after they've been to specialist after specialist after specialist, they're assuming they're heterosexual. They're assuming they're um, monogamous. They're assu- they're making all these assumptions, um, and they're not getting the care they need. And they're also there's just you know, gross misinformation just about their health in general. But I, with my approach, I'm trying to, I'm literally trying to queer the space. I, I even make jokes with the, the clients to try and make them feel comfortable saying it would take a lot to shock me, like a whole lot. So, and then it's been interesting to see like what kind of comes out. And even though I'm not a counselor, like if I am dealing with things like pelvic pain or like, you know, usually they end up telling me stuff about their life and everything. And I'm happy to be one of those spaces that they feel comfortable. They can say, Oh, my male partner, but then my female partner or, Oh, I'm, we're thinking about opening our marriage up or something. And I don't bat an eye. I'm like, okay, well, you know, make sure you communicate, talk. If you need to hear, I have a referral for, you know, sex therapist and couples counseling. If you need that, like um, let's figure out this medical issue. Um, And, that's how I've been able to queer the space. And I've actually been um, doing some of the talks that I'm doing, trying to create that safe space for people to talk about these topics that they thought they were a freak. They thought they weren't normal. They thought like, cause they are not, you know, they're deviating from what that norm is. And I mean, I don't, <laughs> and it's so funny because I'm, for some reason I'm that person. They're like, I've never told anyone this, but I'm going to tell you, I, I don't know what is my face, the curls. I don't know. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> yeah, the curls do that for a lot of people. I'll tell you, I know about that. They're disarming, aren't they? Uh, <laughs> but like I talk to these people and I just, and I mean, I'm not judging them at all. I, but I just laugh in the sense that if we all actually talked about what we were thinking, we'd realize none of us are that all, like the norm really isn't the norm is actually the funny part. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that there, there are, I mean, most of us have some form of difference. I mean, th- yeah. And and one of the reasons we have so much difficulty describing what a sexual norm is is because people don't talk about sex and they not they don't fill in questionnaires. Most sexual research is is such a small percentage of the population, and it's self-selected folks who are willing to talk. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And there are so many people who are just not willing to talk, or they lie. Yeah. You know. So unless you're willing to do like um, what um, Kinsey did with so many people or, you know, Kinsey's research was, was informative because of the sheer volume of numbers, right? Um, And unless you're doing that, it's really hard to make really clear scientific statements about what percentage of the population is really into X, Y, Z, and W, right? Because because people just don't. I do surveys with people all the time and I do research and people are an absolute nightmare around that. You know, they don't, they don't want to um, disclose. Yeah. They're afraid of where the information will go. They're afraid of what you'll think and on and on. So yeah, I mean, that is, 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 is incredibly important and it impacts um, healthcare so negatively. Oh Yeah. There's been times (laughs) I remember I went to an exam and um, 
it was a gynecological exam and they asked like, who is your partner? And I mentioned it was a female. And then I asked for an STI check and they looked at me like, oh, your, your partner's female. You don't need one. Like didn't ask me my sexual activity status, did not ask any, I just, they, they just happened to ask. And I said, oh, my female partner. And they made a slew of assumptions. They didn't ask if I was, you know, non-monogamous. They didn't ask if I was, you know, had male partners. They didn't ask any of that. They just, I literally had to beg. I'm like, no, I want, I want an STI. That's just what I do at my annual exams. Like that's just normal for me. And because, and I also have reasons to want to. And the fact that they, I had to argue for it was just blew my mind. <laughs> so here's the new thing that happens here. You can order test kits in the post through the NHS in most areas. Mm-hmm. And you can choose what you want to be tested for. Awesome. They will make some suggestions based on gender. Um, but you can choose to add anything in that you want to add in. You just need to, you need to tell them about your physiology so they know what to give you, right? <laughs> to test yourself. And you can do the whole set of tests and send it back free post when your dog doesn't bite through the box. Oh, no. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, great. I don't have to pitch up at the, um, at the clinic. Um, and I have one dog who, if you push post, we do actually say put post in this, in this, box outside the house because if you push post through the door and you don't get to it quick enough he bites it and chews it so no. both of our test kiss kits have it's just a cardboard that that has it but both of our te- test kits have big dog bite marks right <laughs> i have no idea what these people are going to think when they get the test samples returned and these oh, things no. have been bitten and chewed but <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to waste their money, so I don't want to ask them to send new boxes because the sa- the sample gets fun. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, you can do. This. <laughs> I, know, I know my life is so much fun, but you can here. You don't have to beg, plead, or anything. All you do is you go on. You put in your your postcode, which is your zip code in the states. It says yes, you can have a kit, and it sends you to a website, and you order it. You pay nothing. It comes in the post. You send it back. And, and then you get your results by either text, email, or phone call. Which do you want? Oh, my gosh. I need to move. No, okay. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you know, this is new. It, it used to be you had to pitch up at the clinic. But you pitched up at the clinic. You were anonymous, though. They give uh, you a number. Yeah. And, and you could be entirely anonymous, and they would give you. And you could go every single year at, yeah. or every six months, whatever you felt like going. There's no limit as to how often you go. And you can ask for tests. And they're educated at the, the genital and urinary medicine clinics in the UK to ask you more questions. There are some that are more savvy than others. Like in London, you get asked all sorts of questions. And there's um, like um, Dean Street Clinic, which is amazing. And, and you know, they're up, up to date on PrEP and, and all sorts, right? Oh, wow. And some others. And some others aren't. But compared to what happens in America... <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It's we're a hot mess. <laughs> yeah. It's it just no. It's no. It's a no brainer. And the thing is, is 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 because it's not a morality thing. It's a health thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they do not. You know, whatever the doctor may think about what you're doing, what they're concerned about is your health. Yeah. Or should be. <laughs> well, it, but but that's how. But, but that's how. If you've got kits in the post, then it becomes that more that even more that way, because yeah. they don't know what they're looking at. Right. 
they, yeah. they're not sitting in front of you making value judgments. Exactly. You know, the kids are going to a lab, somebody's doing it, then you get a phone call or a, or a text or, a, or an email that says, you know, you're fine or, you know, you need to come in. Mm-hmm. And some of them, it's like, we don't recommend this test for you, but if you want it, tick this box. <laughs> like, we don't recommend it because from what you've said, you don't really need it. Mm-hmm. But if you have a reason that, that you feel you need it, we're not going to argue with you. Just tick the box and we'll send it off. That's amazing. With explanations of the ones they are recommending and why you should have them. So, for yeah. example, chlamydia is the big deal. Yeah. Um, and so that's one that, they, they, you know, they'll have all these explanations and why it's really important. You know your status, et cetera, et cetera. We also um, have PPV vaccination here um, for the girls as standard. Wow. Nice. At that, what age? HPV at 12, 13, 14. Okay, 12, 13, okay. And that's a biggie here because people are up in arms about that here as well. So that's, again, going to like, oh, well, they shouldn't be that active at that age. But it's like you can get that, like, there's so much misinformation out there that they don't understand. It's not, it doesn't even have to be that much of a sexual. That's something, but it's not even that. It's something about the idea is it, it works best if you do it before sexual activity. Exactly. So, so yeah. nobody's suggesting that they're active at 12. Yeah. What we're saying is we want to get them before they're active. So that's why. Unfortunately, it's not freely available for boys yet, and boys need it as well. So um, you have to go private for that. Yeah. Okay. And they're That's not right. they're not advertising that boys need it, which they really should be. Yeah. Um, but you know, so it's it's yes, there's 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 some places where you know people moralize here. I'm not saying that there's no prejudice or there's no bias. There certainly is. But there are other areas where it just doesn't figure in. It's like a public health crisis and. I guess if you have healthcare for all, then what you want to do is really try and prevent people going and doing things that are going to be a drain on the public purse, right? So, exactly. Right? You, you <laughs> want to try and educate them no matter how you might feel about their choices because you want to try and you recognize that these things are going to happen. Having said that, you know, for years we had like, because sex education in school has been so bad that we had one of the highest um, teen pregnancy rates in Europe. So, Wow. Yeah, the yeah we're going backwards here in the U.S. So I'm not even <laughs> I'm I'm fighting my good fight with my tiny little business, but I'm unfortunately cannot change the whole hospital and healthcare system here. But it is what it is. <laughs> it's scary, is what it is to yeah, me. Yeah, it's very scary. Yeah, me, very scary. petrifying. I don't know how people deal with it. No, yeah, you just keep going and try to, and I mean that's that's part of the reason I'm deciding to be a little bit more visible because I mean, I feel like people going and hiding is not the the answer either, but you know, I understand a lot of people are worried about self-preservation too. So I know that's, that's kind of for anyone queer. It doesn't matter what kind of queer gender, you know, you know, sexuality, you know, lifestyle, any of that, like, it, it does seem to be getting a little bit scary right now. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it is one of those things where um, it, people think long and hard before they decide that they'll be in the public eye um, yeah. because they have very, very real fears. Stand, mm-hmm. Standing up and announcing you're queer is not a safe thing to do necessarily anymore. Yeah. Nope. You yeah. know, I don't think it was every totally safe thing to do, but it was certainly much more safe at other points. Yeah. So we are about um, two and a half minutes from break. 
Um, and in the last segment, we'll deal a bit more with politics and whatever else comes up. We may have a question or two to answer. I will be checking the email during the break to see if anybody has written in with something that they want us to address. Um, remember, you can phone in or you can email in, and we would be happy to take your questions. No problem. It doesn't have to be on this subject. Any question that you've got on sex and relationships, and we would be happy to do our best to answer. If we don't get to answer this week, I will answer on the show next week, so don't worry about it. Just write in. You can write in before and write in after. Um, and um, we'll take a break now and a word from our sponsors. Explore your deeper desires. Listen, learn, and live sexy here on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Are you ready for your erotic journey? Join host Lexi Silver every week for SDC's Seek, Discover, Create, the radio show. Whether you're new at this journey or well-traveled on the sexual road, we'll help you find your way with guest experts and hot topics about sex, relationships, and your health. You can also connect with the communities of SDC.com for even more advice and discussion. Listen every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Your sex energy is your life energy. That's a central focus of The Conscious Living Show with Dr. Nancy Sutton Pierce and her husband, Dr. Mark Pierce. The health of your sexual life is a parameter for your physical, mental, and intimate relationship health. If something is out of whack, by listening, you may be able to identify the problem and fix it. And it's not always about the sex. Tune in to The Conscious Living Show, broadcasting live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Tune in to talk about sex and sexuality from a man's point of view. The Everything Sexy Show is direct, open, and uncensored discussions, ranging from open relationships to kink, sex parties, and self-love. Hosted by Jamal and Polly Rick, they'll answer your questions, discuss topics you're curious about, and provide a safe forum for perverted and provocative discussions you just won't get anywhere else. Check it out. It never hurts to listen. Everything Sexy, Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. This is the A to Z of Sex, featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It is Q is for Queer, and I'm talking with Dr. Tanya Yannick. And um, this is the last segment of the show. And I wanted to talk a bit with you about what you do, because I know that you do um, physiotherapy for improving pelvic floor and dealing with pelvic pain and dealing with pain during sex and things like that. And I am aware that lots of people do not know that this is actually a specialty. Yes. That exists. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, I call it a, a women's health or pelvic health specialist. Um, I do um, currently only work with female genitalia. Um, there are people that also do men and pediatrics and all that. Um, so there's basically the four P's there's, 
uh, pee, pain, poo, and pressure or prolapse. Um, <laughs> so it's a lot of different things. Um, but several of those can impact, you know, intimacy and, um, you know, being able to have sex with your partner or partners, um, especially pelvic pain. That's like the biggie that usually I'm referring out to my my sex therapists and counselors too, because it's impacting their relationships. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's what I do. Um, because everything's connected. I still look at the whole body just like you would if you went to an orthopedic provider, but, um, I'm asking, are you leaking? Are you, you know, leaking when you sneeze or can you not make it? Are you having, you know, pain with sex? Are you feeling pressure? Um, sometimes incontinence during, um, sex is also embarrassing if that's something people want to address. So, um, it is an internal exam, but it's just a finger and I'm just checking the muscles just like you would any other muscle group. It's just the fact that we pretend the pelvic floor doesn't exist. It's like pretending a bicep on our arm doesn't exist. It's, <laughs> I think it's, um, kind of astounding because we're not Ken and Barbie dolls with no, you know, genitalia, but that's kind of how healthcare, at least in the U S treats us. Um, even the gynecologists, like, um, I had one woman say that she went to the nurse and she was having pain with sex and they did a very quick assessment, said she was strong, which just meant she was tight. She had basically a spasm of the muscle. And then the nurse was like, oh, your husband must be very happy because she was so tight. And I almost like wanted to punch the wall because (laughs) I mean, and this is not, this is not the first ridiculous thing I've been told by a client that they've been told by a nurse or a doctor including specialists. And it, that has blown my mind. And that's what's driven some of my passion for empowering women for talk, educating about um, their bodies. And um, even though I'm not telling them my personal story, I try to make sure that they're very aware that it takes a lot to shock me that this is a safe space to like, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. Like you can tell me anything and it's, I'm not going to bat an eye. Just we want to get you better. And that's the, the end goal. For me, one of the interesting things, so um, I've, I've, I've had um, on my, uh, my um, original podcast, I did Vias for Vaginismus, and I had a sex therapist on, and, and we talked Vaginismus, vaginismus and I've also done Vulvodyna, um, although I didn't do a whole show on it. I may end up doing it this time. We'll see. There aren't very many Vs. Um, but um, so for those people who don't know, Vaginismus is a disorder where the vagina spasms, and so a woman may not even be get be, be able to get a tampon in the tip of a finger in. Um, it's it's uh, incredibly painful, um, but it's very treatable. There's loads of stuff that can be done so that um, you can get through it and come out the other side and no longer have it. So these are you know people who should be seeking pe- people like you out mm-hmm. because it's the physiotherapists. And sex therapists together, some sex therapists don't deal with it, some do. They deal with it in tandem in order to get over this disorder. So they deal with the physical and the psychological. So there's that. Um, vulvodyna is is vulva and vaginal pain. And and they, you get that diagnosis if they don't know where it came from. Yep, exactly. So if they can't say, this is pain because blah, then you get this very vague di- diagnosis. And again, a little bit less of a, pro- a positive prognosis with that one, because if they really can't figure it out, if you really are unable to figure it out, then yeah, it's problematic. But there's a lot that can be done, and there are a lot of things that can be ruled out. If you're in the UK, do not assume that your female doctor knows. 
Yeah, it's been amazing. If they give you this diagnosis and don't send you to a gynecologist, insist on a referral. And even then, it's been interesting, even with the gynecologist, neurogynecologist, at least in the U.S., that even those people, I've, I've treated several people that went and saw their GP, their gynecologist, urogynecologist, GI doc, like none of them really understand the muscles of the pelvic floor. Like they thought it was a UTI and they kept throwing antibiotics at this one person. And then like, like then they had them do an ultrasound. They had a, they had like the bladder ultrasound, like all the things. And all I did, I found a trigger point in her, you know, obturator internus that was causing the full spasm of the pelvic floor, which gave her UTI like symptoms. And this was after being seen by four or five specialists at this point. And I kept on like, I kept in touch with her because I had seen it was someone I knew. And I was like, hey, you sound familiar to me. And she's like, no, I'm already going to this specialist, that specialist. And then after about a month of her going through, you know, hell, (laughs) essentially, she, I finally treated her and she's like, after one session, she's like, oh my, she wasn't cured, but then it was already relieved a little bit. And I gave her, I could identify the area. I could identify what was going on. Um, and I do believe a lot of those, um, the conditions you mentioned, I call them garbage diagnoses, not all the time, but a lot of times those terms, um, if you take like vulvodynia just means like they take vulva and put dynia, which means bad in Latin. Yeah. <laughs> um, essentially, I'm, I'm butchering it a little bit, but you know, any sort of itis you get, it sounds terrible. Plantar fasciitis, well, it's inflammation of the plantar fascia. So it's kind of crazy when we take these so-called diagnoses, it's really just a fancy name for a symptom and they really don't know what it is. Um, yeah. And there's just so much misinformation and even within the healthcare system. So I always say, I mean, even if you do get a referral to a gynecologist and neurogynecologist, definitely seek out um, physical or physiotherapy because even with them, a lot of times their go-to is surgery and pills, medication, whatever. Um, And I've been, I've treated and essentially cured or at least managed these symptoms without any of those things. It's all either exercises or manual therapy or stretches and things like that. I mean, I, I know that there are certain, there are certain situations where um, um, here where gynecologists work in tandem with pelvic physiotherapists. When I had um, um, in, in the autumn, when I had my hysterectomy, they said, you can go and see this pelvic physiotherapist if you need to. I was like, they gave me exercises. They came in and saw me after surgery and talked me through everything. But they said, you can actually come and just like you would do physiotherapy if you had shoulder surgery, you can come and do physiotherapy with us. Um, In the end, I didn't need the physiotherapy, but that's because I had exercises so I could do them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's that sort of thing. Um, and which I think is really important. I think it's really important for people to know that, um, you know, we've got a group of muscles there. We need to take care of them. And we are actually only a few minutes from the end. So um, where can people find you if they want to find you? Um, so Yannick PT, so Y-A-N-O-K-P-T.com. Um, there's also the Facebook page, Yannick PT, and then Instagram, um, it's Yannick PT as well. So nice, short, and sweet. <laughs> um, Fantastic. Yep. Thank you so much. And, and thanks for listening today, guys. If you've got more questions, again, email me at Beth at drlaurybethbisbee.com. If you've got an idea for the show, I want to know. So please send it in. Are you interested in learning more about surrender? 
if you're in the London, UK area, I'm teaching an evening workshop, 25 June, at Women's Erotic Emporium. And on the 24th of June, Morloki and I will have our first DS and BDSM learning munch. This group is for people who are involved in master-slave, owner-property, or dominant-submissive relationships and want to learn more about these dynamics and do some personal development. It'll take place at Women's Erotic Emporium as well. There's a small fee because we're going to be renting the venue, so we need to cover venue rental. And the group will run every two months. Check out the details on my business page on the Sexy Lifestyle Network or on my website. And links to tickets are also there as well. I will see you all next week when the letters are. And I'm going to be on location from Desire Leather Women's Retreat in Palm Springs, California. So I hope you all have an absolutely wild and wonderful week. Keep hot, keep healthy, and I'll see you all soon. We hope you learned something today. But if you have more questions, go ahead and email them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Then be here next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of the A to Z of Sex with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. See you next week. When the lights are off, that's no reason not to light things up. Lube Light lets you pop its cap for instant illumination so your lube gets applied to all the sweet spots and never the awkward ones. No more slippery midsection, unless you're into that. You can keep it turned on while you're getting down with your partner. Our ambient lighting is soft enough to never blind while you're doing the grind. No matter what lube gets you vibing, it's compatible with Lube Light. Easier to turn on than your last partner, guaranteed. Get yours today at lubelights.com. Also available on Amazon and SheVibe. Maximize your orgasms and just let go. The Throes of Passion Waterproof Pleasure Blanket guarantees to keep your sheets dry, no matter how wet it gets. From massage oils to lubes and beyond, we've got your bed covered. So just throw it down and get it on and get lost in your very own Throes of Passion. Then toss it aside and bask in the afterglow of great sex in warm, dry sheets. The all-new Naked Fleece provides a soft and sexy playscape, while the stay-dry barrier protects your bed, your couch, and even your carpet. It's machine washable, large enough to cover a king-size bed, and light enough to travel discreetly. To get your own Throes of Passion waterproof pleasure blanket, visit thesexylifestyle.com and order yours today. That's thesexylifestyle.com. Great sex starts now.